The Hurling Podcast is brought to you by the Enniscorthy Credit Union, where you can join and apply for a loan on the same day. With great interest rates and special rates for car loans, green car loans and education loans. Check out their website at enniscorthycu.ie. The Enniscorthy Credit Union. Local, loyal and lending. Loans are subject to approval. Terms and conditions apply. If you do not meet the repayments on your loan, your account will go into arrears. This may affect your credit rating, which may limit your ability to access credit in the future. Enniscorthy Credit Union Limited is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. If I told you what, that, what I put them lads through, you wouldn't believe it. Curling has to be the most difficult, eye-hurting sport I've ever witnessed. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been described as the bridesmaids of Harlan. Well, today we got married. Oh, there's no rules. This guy just grabbed the ball and threw it up in the air and then hit it. But, but apparently, I'd like to thank you, the people of Wexford, who stuck with us through taking pain. Hello and welcome to the Hurling Podcast. All-Ireland Final Week, Ben, are you excited? Very excited, yeah. Three games, two Ferns games actually to go to in, in between of the All-Ireland Final, but hopefully I get the full thing. Very good. What games have you got? Yeah, junior Hurling at one o'clock and there's a senior match at half six that evening. Hopefully uh, the senior one won't be as eventful as the previous <laughs> senior game. Hopefully not. To preview the final, we are delighted to be joined again by Corkman and renowned trainer Frank Flannery and former Limerick hurler and current Games Development Administrator James Ryan. We'll start with you, James, if you don't mind. We were wondering, is everyone in Limerick now just really smug? What are the thoughts? Um, <laughs> yeah, I suppose, look, um, to answer your question, bar the team and management and all the people that are involved, we are getting kind of quite smoked to be honest because I suppose since 2018 there's talks that Kilkenny beating us in the semi-final obviously but a sideline that could have been a 65 and the whole lot and look I don't, I don't think anybody's taking Cork for granted but like this team has like nearly a 90% win rate there in the last four years they've won so many matches and any team that's beat them they've, they've competed with them and beat them in, in other matches as well so uh, look, smoke is a kind of a, I don't know, kind of a word, but I suppose confident and um, just like they've, they've, they've just torn up the record, the history books and made their own script at the moment. I, I think they're the most successful team Limerick have ever had. We're back in 2017. We kept going on about 73. 73 hasn't been mentioned since 2018, since winning it. And even 2018 hasn't been mentioned because they've won leagues and monsters since. So look, we're just in a golden era of Limerick hurling and I, I suppose it's hard not to be smug because the team is just performing so well and winning so much that um, it's just good times to be in Limerick, you know. But again, look, Cork, Cork, as we know, and we're going to talk about in the final, are going to be no easy team to overcome. But at the moment, in, in the nicest, and, and I suppose it's in, in, in a non-cocky way, people are nearly getting sick of putting out the flag now at this stage in Limerick, and we thought we'd never see the day. So we're just we're just happy with the times we're in. You're, you're a coaching officer, are you? I, I am, yeah. I, I work. Um, I'm a games development administrator there for mostly South East Limerick. Um, so I suppose I can't. I shouldn't be saying we'd never thought we'd see the day because there's a lot of work going in. Like, but I suppose with with any county, um, like we call them the chase and pack. If you if you look at the, the history of the GA, you look at Cork, Tip, and Kilkenny being the the, the three out in front from winning all Ireland titles. So the chase and pack. I don't think anybody could foresee Limerick coming and being so strong and competing. But 
at the end of the day, you look at a, a club or a county, a lot of this team is one group of players and obviously there was a massive work put into them. And like, I got a shock the other day myself and I was only gone in 2017 that somebody said Kyle Hayes is only 23 and I was like, no way, like, I played in there four or five years ago. But you only think he's, you think he was older because he just came in at 19 and just seamlessly came in strength and condition wise, you could just fit him into the team. And, and I even see it there with Carl O'Neill and Colin Coughlin who'd be two of the under 20s coming in there that, this year, you could nearly put them in and they nearly have the physique and the, the stature and, and maybe they're just lacking that bit of experience and, and whatever, but strength and condition-wise, you could nearly just put them into the team and, and they'd hold their own. Like So I suppose there has been a good structure in all that kind of aspect of strength and condition and they've done it through the academies and stuff. So that has been a big help. Were you were you there at the time when they, they set up the academy and started all this? Yeah, I think back. I think back then it was even called um, lifting the treaty. And I, if I'm not mistaken, Keen Lynch, Keen Lynch's age group. So it'd been Keen Lynch and uh, who else would be around that? William, I don't know all the age group. I think they were the under fourteen team that first came in to the first kind of academy. Um, and uh, there was a lad there, Andy Murphy, who done an awful lot of strength and conditioning. I think he went on to Connacht and he's gone on to other things since. But he was over the strength and conditioning that time and. I look, it kind of grew and, and a lot of very experienced people got involved and within Limerick themselves, they tried to look at an awful lot of um, secondary school teachers that would have been involved in schools hurling and known, known the players. And also that they, they, they did a summer off and they tried to look at people obviously with good kind of use of language to the players as well, that if you want somebody that's used to talking to teenagers and all that secondary school teachers are your your main main income there. And they, they actually targeted a lot of teachers, not just teachers, but they targeted a lot of teachers at that time because at the time they'd have often an awful lot of secondary school teachers in every county are massive GA oriented if they're into schools teams and all that. So um, massive structures in place. Obviously, there was a lot of funding put in as well, but uh, the academy definitely helped. It brought a bit of structure and, as you say, strength and condition and all these different things were put in. And like even there today, I was just talking to somebody at a cool camp. I'm actually in the Piershig um, cool camp this week and a man was talking to me about his 11 year old and he was saying, he, he was asking him, how do I get bigger and when do the academy start and the whole lot? No, that probably has his own problems, but look at look at the frenzy it's causing and the excitement it's causing the kids. Uh, they want to make these academies and they're kind of a, a thing around. In all the counties, I see Cork, Clare, all the counties in Munster now have academies like so. They're really an in thing that probably wasn't there in our time and, and they're definitely growing in popularity. We were, we were laughing at it last week now. Because we wanted to ask you, did you do you know Darrow Donovan personally? Now, uh, he'd actually be a distant cousin of mine. Yeah, is he, um, is he always as serious? Yeah, Darrow. <laughs> I suppose, like um, with the interview. Yeah, I no look. I don't think there are many people that serious, but like, I suppose, like, like no, he's not always that serious. But straight after a match, I suppose he. He was probably thinking he was more conscious about not saying something wrong or maybe giving another team a bit of ammunition or something. I don't know, but no, he wouldn't always be that serious, but <laughs> it came across very, very serious. But like, I do know that like the sports psychology and, and the way this team is set, it's always on to even after a match like that. And I suppose they've had a lot of success in Ireland semi-finals lately. It's like they're kind of just zoned into the next match and not giving a team any motivation. And Maybe that kind of creeped in a bit to the interview and he was just kind of saying it straight out. But uh, I don't know, look, nearly everyone in that team would have a sense of humour and they're not robotic yeah. by any means. But uh, the interview kind of came across a bit like that, all right. But 
look, all I can say is any any time the few Limerick wins we ever got or whatever, you're so, just so drained after and you just want to get in and maybe hydrate and stuff that uh, maybe you come across a bit like that. And I I, th- I also think that it's a bit dangerous to, to crop, crop back doing interviews where the whole crowd can hear because it's a live interview after match. And I don't know, do you have your wits about you? And anything could be said, but yeah, mm. he came across very stern and serious, but uh, no, he's not always like that, to be honest, no. I would thought they make some of the best uh, sound bites for the game. But uh, yeah, no, you kind of wonder did the did that half hour affect his own routine that much that like it it, it was very annoying for him. But then like whatever it did or whatever he did, it didn't have any effect on his performance because he was man of the match. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I, I think um, I think everyone is different. Like if you go into the psychology of the mind and, and maybe it affects others more. Like, I'm a big believer that. If your mindset is going to be uh, upset over a half an hour delay, well, your mindset wasn't right in the, the week coming up to the match or the, the Thursday night. I, you Like you often see it there playing club or county or whatever it is, that if the game is delayed a small bit and you're blaming that for underperforming, your mindset wasn't right coming onto the, the field as far as I'm concerned. And I think he just got caught in the hop. I, I, I think that half an hour delay, I, I, I just th- thought he maybe looked at the question from a player's point of view that maybe it did upset routine a bit but when you look at the bigger picture like I was talking to a couple of fans and there were five hours in the in a traffic jam coming up the motorway and, and they were coming up just to see these players play and the whole lot and when I say when I was explaining to him the whole lot he fully understood the reasons why I think he was just saying from a player's point of view it probably wasn't perfect like you know that but um, you can see the reasons why like all all fans from from both counties getting caught in traffic there and stuff it's it's tough going you know Obviously, Limerick have won both games. We count more of the championship game because the league game wasn't a real game now. Um, Limerick probably didn't have to get in, you know, didn't have to play their best. Frank, from your point of view, what do Cork have to do differently to make up that ground? Yeah, I suppose, uh, Ben, um, if you look at, I think Cork to a lot of confidence out of the first championship match to kind of say to themselves, well, look, we're going the right direction here. Um, their league was a bit indifferent. They started well, and then towards the latter part of the league, they probably question where they were at. I think that gave them confidence, and they probably came with a game plan there, and they probably evolved it. They evolved it from there, to be honest with you. I suppose the big thing, the question you're asking me is what do you need to do differently at the weekend? Look, a given and non negotiable is their work rate. Right, if they don't have that at the highest octane, they have no chance. Right, um, this is the big one. They need to retain seventy percent of their own puck out. Right now, against every Limerick, will shoot. They'll probably have 48, 50 shots and goal if they're on form. No, they'll have less if you retain your own puck out. Okay, so the pressure is going to be on Patrick Collins um, to to get that pass off. And when it, when it does go to the first Corkman, that they can evolve one pass, two pass, three into attacking threat. Because I reckon Limerick will set a trap from regarding they'll probably let the ball go to Sean O'Donoghue or Owen Cadding, and if he's on, and then they'll pounce on that. And that's what I did in the league match. And Patrick is a good guy, really good goalie, but you know his decision making at times can be questionable. Now it's been excellent lately, but will it, will that trap be set for him? And that's one thing. Um, I think to not think it to learn from the Waterford game. Waterford threw the kitchen sink in the first quarter of the semi final. And they went in at the first water break, 4-3 down. Okay. I don't think Cork can physically take on Limerick. I think they had to play to their strengths, which is moving the point to the attack as often as possible. Right. Keep uh, rotating their forwards. 
Like they'll probably play with four forwards. Um, Mark Corbin will play as a sweeper role. Um, they are Connor Callan will probably pick up Keen Lynch, and they'll have to rotate their forwards constantly to try and get a mismatch because look, Limerick are either doing a man marking job with Sean Finn and Dan Morrissey, but they have to the three half backs are very zonal. So just trying to get someone in behind all the time and create the overlap to run on run on goal because they did create goal chances the championship match in Turles so they'll be hoping to do that again and to take those goal chances this time round that's the next thing um, Keane Inch's influence for me Keane Inch's on song Limerick are flying right you take the first game 32 minutes draw game um, I think Niall O'Leary was black carded then right and Keane Lynch stormed into the game after that point um, like his influence he just has unbelievable vision and poise on the ball to deliver it so he's a big one. The big one we is the full forward. Shamey Flanning is playing out of his skin. Like his his ability to score going away from goal is incredible. Right, he's a brilliant semi final. Robert Downey, I know they're raving about him in Cork, but if you're being very honest, Billy Ryan scored six points in playoff him. Okay, so yeah, he was clearing ball, but like that won't be good enough against Limerick if Shamey Flanagan is scoring four or five points. Limerick are going to win. So that's the next thing he has to get his basics right. Um, I suppose. The other thing you're looking at, Limerick will invite, I spoke already about Owen Caddy and Sean O'Donnell and Puckouts instead of trapping, probably pouncing them. Cork are going to come up with something different. Um, on the long puckout, they use Jamie Hardy a lot, probably Dara Fitz. They're going to have to come with something different because I suppose James, club manager James is there. Um, Sean O'Donnell worked with Cork for seven years, so he knows Cork inside out. Like, you know, he's also worked with uh, Kieran Kingston at club level with Douglas, so he'd be very aware of where Cork pies, like their puck goal strategy won't have changed massively over the years. Like habit, habit dies hard, right? So that's one thing they need to work on. Um, the free man influence, Limerick will probably free up Barry Nash or Declan Hannan. Declan Hannan for strike and Barry Nash for running the ball up and creating overlaps for Kyle Hayes. How Cork are going to deal with that? Um, Limerick's puck outs, like they're actually quite basic. They either create, in, and they're very simple, but very good. They drop five into the full back then they run the ball at you. Uh, if Cork back off and say, right, we'll meet you under 45, no better team to run it past you. Okay. They did that against Tipperary in the second half, of it, especially. Tip set back, set back in the Munster final, shot from distance, and Limerick just ran at them and created overlaps. They tried to change their game so easily. So the other one is the overload. Well, they just overload one side of the field with their three half forwards. Um, if you don't, if you follow, they'll hit a space for either Gillan or Flanagan to run out into. So you got to try and watch that space. Or else if you leave some one player out, out, out on, in that space, they'll just bang it down and blow mostly on the break and change the point of attack and go from there. Um, okay, Kyle Hayes' influence is ma- massive. And like you're really taking a forward threat out by man-marking him. Right? Uh, Robbie Flynn picked him up in the Munster semi-final. And Robbie Finn has been very effective running the ball, but like one eye is going to be on Kyle Hayes for the day. What's he going to do? Like, you know, he's so powerful going forward. He's the Jack McCaffrey of hurling, to be honest with you. The Dublin, the Dublin badly missed at the weekend in the football. And um, I suppose there are a couple of main things. So Cork have got to negate them, basically move the ball as fast as possible, either run it or point change the point of attack, right? Um, retain their own puck out as much as possible, disrupt Limerick's puck out. Okay, and the biggest thing for me at the weekend is Limerick will come with process. Like, I would be honest, I'd say this straight to James, I was that if Limerick had Caroline Card in 2019, they'd be going for four in a row this weekend. 
Okay, she was a massive loss that year because she has a fierce hold in those players. Um, now Tony Oves might be very good at his job as well, but she was a massive loss to Limerick. Okay, and I think Limerick will come. They know they know the final event very much. So this is very new to the Cork players. Um, yeah, Mark Coleman's played under twenty finals in in Limerick against Tip, but going to Crow Park, I know it's a half half uh, packed stadium, but it's going to be a big occasion, and I think Limerick will just, they will deal with it and turn up. Whereas Cork, even the way Kieran Kingston and um, Sully spoke after the semi-final that Limerick's name is etched in the cup already, it's pure emotion and maybe almost hatred to a point or jealousy to a point driving them. And that does not guarantee a performance. And that would be a worry, a worry you'd have for the game. So I, I'm leaning towards Limerick winning, lads. I'm not being the cute Cork core in this, but I do think Cork <laughs> have a chance now. If Limerick turn up, or sorry, Limerick have an off day like they did in the semi-final, I hit 20 wides, and Cork play to their best to have a chance, but it's a big tall ask, and I've, I've stated a lot of facts they have to get right before they can deliver a performance to win the game. Just, I suppose, there's a lot in that, but uh, one thing that I did know, like Keane Lynch in that uh, game in Munster, he wasn't really in it at the start of the game, and he was being marked by Niall O'Leary, I think. But then when Limerick got the black card, did Cork kind of push up? Did they push up Mark Coleman on him? Indeed, the, they pushed up Mark uh, Coleman on him. Because yeah. it, I think that's kind of when Keane Lynch really came to life. And I think during that time, Limerick outscored Cork by... A seven-point turnaround, didn't it, as I think, at the time, was it? No. Two, four to two points or something like that. Is that just not panicking with the black card even after like the the, uh, the save from Nicky Quaid from the penalty would have given them a lift, but was it more Cork panicking? Was it was it down to Limerick just keeping cool? Was it more to do with Keane Lynch, um, the position he him getting more into the game on Mark Coleman? What do you think? I suppose like if you look at any All Ireland winning team, the one thing to have is a lot of leaders like and, and what is leadership like. They obviously play to a system and they play to cross, like Frank's after saying there, and like not much would change when they have a black card only. They probably play with one man inside trying to get a couple of runs and the whole thing would stay the same. But like the one thing I would say about like Keen Lynch, as you have to explain him a bit, is he's very influential in the field. And the reason why you're probably talking about him like he is, is he not only does he get on a load of position stuff, but it's his ability, and maybe that's why he's sent the far to bring other fellas into the game. Like you could see Keane Lynch uh, in the All Ireland final, maybe only getting a point or two, but you could see that his assists could be way up in comparison to all the rest of the forwards. Um, it's just his ability to get other players in it. And then when Limerick do get a black card, um, I mean, their work rate in the forwards um, is just phenomenal. Um, like, even it was a stat that was there. Um, I know he's not starting that much this year, but Graham Mulcahy was in the full forward line. And I think in every game, he had the highest tackle count. And like when you're able to afford to keep a fella like that in the bench this year, maybe he's gone a couple of years older and Peters, whatever, but like they work right out of our forward. So when they do get a black card, they are used of open that work rate and open that tackle count. And again, with the psychology of sport and Caroline Curd in there and the whole lot, and they're playing to a system and a process, they know, right, I need to up it here now. And, and I think like it's very easy to say, oh, we get a sports psychologist and we play to a process. But the only thing that can help you in the situation Limerick are in now is from their ability to win so many matches. And the more you win, the more it becomes a habit. And the more you're like, 
to be honest, this Limerick team doesn't really know how to lose anymore. And I know I'm only talking since 2018, but even the games they lost, like that 2019 semi-final against Kilkenny, like I met a couple of lads after it and they were just, like you would swear they were the Kilkenny team going for the five in a row and they lost one match. It, but it, it's competitiveness and it's it's within all that team. And they know, like if you have that competitive nature out in the field and you've got a black card and you're not playing great, well, you're going to have doubts in your head, you're going to say here. And like, a lot of the time, to me, that's leaders. To me, if 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 the most influential player on that Limerick team, if King Lynch gets a black card or whatever, if he gets a red card in the All-Ireland Final, the other 14, instead of saying, oh, this is our day now, we're done, all that, they're going to step up. They're going to try and up their game and they're going to rise their intensity because they have that experience of winning behind them. And I think that goes on what Frank's saying about, about Sunday. Like, Limerick are going in with the experience, but... But like Frankie's saying, he still gives Cork, now I give him, you said a chance, but I give him more than a chance, but Cork are going in with that freedom of play. Going in like Limerick did in 18. They're going in like Galway and Ellie Warren, 17, where they've nothing to lose. They're a young team. If you took Hargan and Harnedy out of them, they, they've never been there before. They're after getting their first taste of Crow Park success there in the semi-final. They're going to throw the kitchen sink at it. And like, to be honest, Frank's have time, but all the ways Cork will have to do, but Limerick and Cork have both, like, I only retired there in 2017 and it's only, what, four years ago. And I think the game has moved on so much in four years. It's crazy. And I would put an awful lot of it down to Cork and Limerick evolutionising the game so much. Um, like Limerick in 2018 had a massive success rate out of their half-hour line moving and a lot of Nicky Quaid's puckouts went long. The first time I ever seen that done against me, I don't know, other teams only done it, was against Cork. We played them in Old Christians in a challenge game to start just before the 2017 championship and Seamus Harnedy and I think it was Conor Lahan even that time were making runs and they were finding all this space and we didn't know how to do it. So Limerick took that, that on. Then um, players started playing the goalie a bit. I think Cork are evolutionising. They're playing their goalie as an extra defender now. He's literally playing when they, when Cork had possession of the ball, he's gone out into the corner, there's space being made. They're playing it from the back and, and that's why you give Cork more than a chance in the All-Ireland final because they play a very similar system to Limerick and to be honest, there's certain aspects of their game where they're nearly doing more than what Limerick do. They're, they're adding to the system of what Limerick plays. So, yeah, but, but, but back to your point about, I just think it's it, they have leaders all over the field. They have experience. They're now All-Ireland winners and they carry it very well into games. And they have presence out in the field. Like, I, I remember playing against Kilkenny and they were the team that time. And it's just hard to explain. But the very minute they're out onto the field, they just have presence. They, you know you're playing the best team in the country and you know that you have to up your game, that they're not going to come down to your level. And I think Limerick are that team in the in the country at the moment, that you just have that presence and you know you know what you're going to get. You're going to get a high tackle count, high work rate, and you have to match that. And that's why they can afford a black card and still perform at a high level at times. I know uh, James said there that uh, Cork kind of, it's like a, a free shot for them almost because they're not expected to win. But from your perspective, Frank, a lot of these lads would have lost two would have lost all Ireland finals, maybe not senior, but definitely two under twenty all Ireland finals. Do you think that that pressure is on on them, Cork lads, or is it? Do they feel it is a free shot? Uh, kind of just knowing the the lads there, they, they they're very easy going fellas like like Shane Kingston and Mark Coleman, Dara Fitz. They're very, you know, they love their hurling, but they don't really get bogged down in the past or anything like that. So I, I that that is a plus from them. They're, I don't think they'll get nervous to be honest with that way. Um, yeah, the last two I'll earn finals. I think the one in the Gaelic Crowns against Tipperary it hurt them the most. They had given Tip a good beating in the Munster final and they just was taken off them. But they left themselves in a position that was taken off them in the dying seconds. 
Um, like the following year, uh, Tip were by far the better team. They outplayed Cork completely that day. So look, um, like Hoggy and and Jamie Harley are the only two that played in thirteen. Um, very similar circumstances. Probably got to a final. Maybe I wouldn't say against Ronnie Play because they they beat um, they beat uh, what they got on the way through Kilkenny in the quarter final. Um, should have won that the first day, right? But never really evolved. That team never evolved after that, and were very naive maybe in the way they set up after that. So it's taken a long time to get back there again. Um, to answer your question, I think the young players will take under stride. To be honest, and I don't think anything that happened before this would matter to them too much. Like, you know. And how important, like, I'm sure you don't like it being said, but it has been said that Cork, you know, might be a little bit of bottlers at time. But then that semi-final, I suppose it nearly did bottle it when uh, when Kilkenny came back to draw it. But then they really yeah. did show that the what what they had in extra time to to win comfortably and to blow Kilkenny away. Uh, how how important was that? Well, a massive a massive performance from be honest with you. Um, look, the culture has changed. That's you know it has really changed in Cork. No, like they are. The word work has been used a lot, like you know, even the club game now has picked up a lot. Before you pick up the examiner on a Monday morning, it's the highest scoring championship in the country by a mile. There was no mass on, on defending. So that has really improved. And it's the one word that especially the Cork under 20 management and players are using, work and work and work. And I think they've got that, they put that number one and the hurling number two. And um I I thought fair play against Kenny. I didn't think Kenny were overly good on the day. They weren't at their hundred percent, but fair play to Cork. You know, they stuck at it when they before they would have fallen apart on it. So it was brilliant, a brilliant result for him going forward. A Limerick perspective, James, do you look at Peter Casey getting off being the right decision, or are you kind of just feel a bit lucky that he got off? What's the thinking? Um look, I suppose for my Limerick hat on. You're gonna say, you know, uh, yeah, we're de- we're delighted he's off. But like, the one thing I've been saying, and, and I truly believe this, that if it was a cock player that got sent off in the same manner that Peter Case got sent off, and he was free to play the All Ireland final, maybe I'm just a fan going up to match whatever. But I'd be totally okay with it because I didn't see much in the incident. Um, look, obviously we're delighted. A player like Peter Casey, he's actually. Very important to the Limerick team because he's such a different forward to like Aaron Glenn and, and Seamus Flanagan. He just plays completely different. He's you have to defend him differently. He has great feet and and all this. Um, and like the talk going around was who's going to replace him and all that. But to be honest, like I I would I would feel very sorry for the lad if he didn't get away with it because to miss an All Ireland final with all the preparations and everything put in place, I personally didn't think there was much in it. And that's not me being. Put with my Limerick had been biased in it. I thought it was minimal contact. Uh, I thought I thought it was very much in it. the ref didn't really see it. I, I think like I think a lot of the red cards of late, like if you go back to even Wex or Wexford and Tipperary at the time, and John McGregor got a second yellow for a tip there. Um, I find a lot of these red cards are very harsh at the moment. Like if Aaron Galan's thing was a yellow in the month's final, right. Rightly so, it might have been missed or whatever. But I was just think an awful lot of these yellow cards, cards and second yellows are they need to maybe define the cards a bit more and what's a yellow and what's not. But look, it I, I don't really get either all these people coming out saying like it's not in his nature or you know, because 
I can only speak for myself. I've often been in instances myself, like what, if, whether it's in your nature or not, if you do something dirty, it's a red card. So I don't get all that talk, but I didn't think there was much in the actual tackle itself. He didn't make contact. And look, it's not like I'm trying to be the big hard man or anything like this, but there is an awful lot of diving coming in as well of simulation in, in both hurling and football. You watch it. And an awful lot of players are going down, rolling around the ground, nearly looking for guys. It's gone very soccer-like. And, I think for the good of the game and to stop a bit of diving and that, it was good for Peter to get off with that as well. Because, look, I'm not saying Conor Gleeson wasn't hitting that directing anything at him. I'm just saying players in general, if you go through the whole championship all year, like when they have the ball, they're taking a lot harder hits than when they're not in the ball and they get hit and they're going down rolling. And I, I, I just, I'd hate personally myself to see uh, rolling around and diving come into the game. And don't get me wrong, if you get hit, and you get hit in the wrong area, you get a bad belt, by all means, if, if, if it's dirty playing the whole lot, I'm all for, you know, there has to be discipline and cards in the game for a reason, but I just think they might have to clamp down a small bit on the dive and going on in hurling and football at the moment, because, I, look, you see the way the soccer's gone, and we'll be giving out of them rolling around, nobody really wants, spectators, bums and seats, nobody wants to see that, you know. Gleason come forward, no? Uh, I Do don't know, know much about the incident now, but I, I do think Conor Gleeson said to the referee in the whole incident, no, I just only hear says said not to send him off because obviously he knows what it's like to get a red card to miss an all yeah. final. Um, again, if you're talking about psychology of sport and all that, I can just imagine his mental mindset after getting that red card and he's sitting down. And to be fair, Limerick had the game won at that stage. It was a ridiculous kind of a, a challenge to make maybe. And he was thinking about missing an All-Ireland final, it's not a nice place to be for any f- player. Like You think of even club hurling and fellas that have missed club matches or county finals over doing something. So for me, I was just happy that any player, I'd hate to see any player missing an All-Ireland unless they 100% deserved it or done something malice. And I, I didn't see much malice in that. So I just think from a Limerick point of view, it was great that it was dealt with last week and that it wasn't still going on to this week and they just, just concentrate on the match. And I, I firmly do stand by my comment that if it was, if it was a... Cork led that done the same thing got away but I'd be all for the Cork player to play I, I didn't think there was much in it I far, firmly agree with you when I hate this comment oh he's not that kind of player does that mean you get one free until you become that kind of player how does, how does it work I like? don't yeah I don't know is there a different level of, of cards because like do nice fellas only get yellows and if you work this you get a red I don't know it, it doesn't it, it's a bit like that comment about um and you hear it all over the country, a manager go up to the referee at half time and say, the free count is 12-7. Well, then stop fouling. Like, am I meant to give you the same amount of frees in the half? Do you know, I don't get it. <laughs> it's kind of that kind of a comment, you know. So, yeah. no, I, I didn't understand all that. And he is a lovely fella. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying he's not, but I don't get that talk. Like, is a referee meant to know a fella's nature before he gets out of the car? I don't. It doesn't make any sense to me. So, yes, I think I've heard some people saying that sometimes the ref should take into account the, the lad being not that kind of fella or just a nice lad but uh, I do find it biz- I think Gleeson must have come forward and said something but or, or else I don't know how it would have been overturned because I still don't really know what happened from the replays I think it's inconclusive but the referee uh, he consulted with his linesman and came to the decision that it was a red card so the umpire so, apparently or the umpire something new must have come to light for them for the match report or in the in the when it went to the CCC or whoever to overturn it. Yeah, I'm, look, I'm not 100%. As I said, there's a bit of talk around the county. Look, again, this is only hearsay, but I think that information came true that the linesman said something, but he didn't go on that advice and he talked to his umpire and the advice the linesman gave him and it was clear to see that the ref was looking the other way in, in a photo. I don't know if you see that photo. He's gone up the field. 
he was looking with his head back to the incident here. And um, I think they got away because all that is on the ear and they were able to, to hear the, the sound and back. And I do know that, now I, I'm kind of laughing saying it, but in the months of the final back in 2013, when Pat Horgan got sent off for the ball, hitting his helmet, obviously, clearly, um, that uh, Paddy O'Brien, who was the player who was deemed to get the belt, and, and in fairness, Paddy just went in and said, I did get a belt and I, it was the slitter that hit him in the helmet and he just said afterwards that he didn't hit him and it does help when a player comes forward and, and say that. So I know from that from that incident, that time, that um, a player can give a, a statement or whatever to, to help the other player. Um, and obviously they've got video evidence and all that stuff as well. So um, it's not like back home. They have tried a couple of times the club and you've no video evidence, no nothing. And the only chance in your arm really, like, so that there, there is a bit to back it up, you know, so... Would, you, would you get that many red cards that you have to be going in? I'm playing a long time, you know yourself. My uh, <laughs> playing to red card ratio is not too bad. <laughs> and your thoughts on it, Frank? Ridiculous, do you think? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I think look, uh, move on. I think no, no, no. Problem, yeah. To be honest. I look the word, but you don't know what the wording report was. Then, and let's be honest. That's yeah. it. Like who you're only speculating, really. Yeah, that's all. Look, at the end of the day, it was a big, big plus for Limerick because if you look, just take the stats last year, Graham would normally start that role. Basically, Peter's role is to become the tackler behind the play and the opposition halfback. You know, he plays that role behind the halfback line. And I think last year, Graham had 11 tackles in the Ireland final, but Peter came on with 22 minutes to go and had the same count. Wow. You know, so I imagine, I imagine it would be reversed now. You'll probably have Peter is probably probably scoring more than Graham is at the moment, but Graham will come on. And But like if Graham had to start instead, you're bringing on Reedy or bringing on Pat Ryan, they're not giving you that same type of player. You know, whereas the two lads are very similar, maybe with Peter having more balance on the shot at the moment. Um, would that be a fair assessment, James? Uh, look, 100%. Like, Peter and Ellie got on this year due to his performances last year coming off the, the bench, as you said. And even if you go back to the All-Ireland semi-final against Galway, he came on. He was in every match, even against Tipperary, then he finally came on and cut a ball over um, Paddy Maher's head, like, and he's only about five foot four. Like, so his influence is unreal. And mm. it comes back to, to your point, like, Peter, could you, you could come out and analyse the game after and say, Peter's after having a terrible game, he could have four points from play score all of a shot and he mightn't have been that influential at all. So, look, there's no doubt about it from, like, he is a massive plus to the Limerick team and obviously he's a, a player that was on form. He started every game this year ahead of Graham and as you said, even playing Graham and then you're bringing on fellas that didn't have that much game time the whole year. He, from a, from a trying to win an All-Ireland point of view, he was massive and they had to go for it and the whole lot. Um, like, just he, he's a massive um, plus to that team and as I said he's a different kind of a forward that like if you put a man marker on him um, like he's got feet he finds space he can come out and make space for the other players and I don't think people realise what Peter does when he's inside there because like teams have to watch so many others like so look he's a massive addition but um, as you say it strengthens up the bench as well from a Limerick point of view no, so massive. it was a win-win Absolutely and even Frank there talking about his impact off the bench last year with his uh, 11 tackles, which matched Graham's, Graham Mulcahy's. You look at impact off the bench in the semi-final with Shane Kingston, and did, is it a worry that he could be seen as an impact player, or will Shane Kingston get the start there, do you think? Uh, the general consensus in Cork is going to be left. He's going to be left on the bench. Um, I don't know. This kind of, look... 
you, you have a lot of, when you have Jorconium and the lads involved, there's a lot of kind of, what's the word, to know what's worked in the past, right? So they'd be very slow to change, right? Um, on the other hand, then Barrett, they're probably the two of them. Barrett is one at minor level was very efficient. Like he has four shots, three scores, right? I personally start him and I'd start him centre forward. But I you start I, Kingston. I would. I'd start Kingston centre forward. And um, I thought he was very good there. And just try and maybe a lot of people are going after Decton Hannon, but no one is succeeding. Like Decton is very good in the tackle. He is like and Fainers are very good to dispossess the ball off your hurley. So that'll be interesting. That's where I'd start him in as centre forward. Um and I'd keep Shane Barrett. You know, Shane is a really cool customer and I think he'd handle the occasion very well. I'm not saying Shane Barrett won't, but I think Shane Kingston would handle the occasion better than Shane Barrett, maybe at some point. And James, from, from Limerick point of view, hearing that the word might be that Shane, Shane Kingston is going to be left on the bench, wouldn't, would, you, would you not be like delighted, delighted with that? Absolutely delighted, Sean. <laughs> Look, I can see why they would with the impact he had the other day, but like, it's guess we're talking about Peter Casey and Shane Kingston a lot, and I would consider them very similar players, and they've got unbelievable feet. Um, obviously, their skill levels, the whole lot, but their agility and their, their sidestep and the whole are very hard to defend. Um, and again, he's got great pace. Uh, I would agree with Frank completely there. Shane Barrett, he's maybe that year younger, the last day, maybe the occasion, get him first time playing against Kikini. Would he have the experience? Um, if, if he's that kind of a cool camp collective lad Shane Kingston is you'd definitely be tempted to start him look the elephant in the room as well is his father is the manager like if my father was the manager of the, gar- of the club team here at home he'd be kind of saying hey, give me those start there so obviously like I, I'd be always making this point about Shane Dowling as well he got known as an impact sub like everyone every player that plays in the whole country whether it be junior B or inter-county hurling or football whatever you're playing you want to play the game. You want to start. You want to, you know, so you can understand why management's and all that bring on impact subs and they're coming more and more into the game and uh, the work rate and like fellas giving it everything they got for 50 minutes and coming off because they're absolutely drained. I can understand that whole process in the county, but if I was the manager of Cork and I'm way away from ever being an inter-county manager and Shane Kingston was after getting seven points coming on there, I'd find it very, very hard, especially with the way Shane Barrett went the last day. And as you say, like Frank saying there, you can play him on the inside line or the outside line. You could play this man out as a third midfielder. He can hurl, he can move, he's got great feet, he's got great vision. Very hard not to stop players like that in an all-around final, especially when you're... It's a lot easier for John Kiley not to start the Shane Dowling when he had the, the players and experience he had then Cork or the fresh team coming like Limerick went into 2018 they played the same team for the whole thing they were unknown they played first round championship same team all the way to the finish they made their three or four subs the whole way it's very easy for John Kiley to make these changes now when you've established players playing it, it, they're both in a different kind of a boat that way yeah, the only it might go against them James is like I say Limerick very much you know they'll stick to the process and system, right? With Shane Kingston, I said that's the reason they left him off the last day. They find it hard to slot him into position, to find that you find a position for him, right? Because he he likes to come out the field and go at you, right? So they want to leave Hoggy and Jack O'Connor inside. So then he could go missing on the wing, you know, as an outlet ball. He's not inclined to track back to the opposition 45 as much as maybe uh, Robbie or uh, Conor Callahan, these guys will do. So, the whole idea of your game plan might go out the window with him at times. That's why I, I kind of think maybe at centre forward, he might have more of a free role 
Um, and that to be the challenge. Um, but I look, it's it down here. Look, a lot of here say about that he won't start. I think they'd be mad not to start him. You know, the same as you, I'd start him. I like, go for it. Do you know what I mean? I think you have to. I mean, you're the, you're, like, you're the underdog. You need to stay in touch. Like, and the other thing as well. Back. The other thing as well about like like impact subs and all this kind of thing is is like mental preparation. Some lads are just better coming off the game because mm. they've no time to think about it. They're they're not worried about the warm up, nervous for the match. They can just come on and play. Um, so a lot of these impact subs, there's a reason why they they kind of come onto the field. I'm not saying Shane Kingston is one of them players, but it's like there there's going to be players on every All Ireland final that don't take the occasion very well, their mindset, whatever. And if you have a fella like Shane Kingston that you know can you can spring him off the bench and he's going to be cool and calm like he did in the semi final, well, you know there's a method to what they're doing because I just do know from playing myself there's days where. The nerves get you and all these kind of things. And there's no doubt about it, the way the game is going and the way management, sports, psychologists, the whole lot, they're looking at a player's psyche and the way he approaches the game to say, will he be able for the big occasion or not? So that'll all be taken into account. But um, it's just, it's very hard not to start the lead. They got seven points from play the last day. That'll be the... It's, it's a very rugby thing, isn't it? And, and even like... I saw for the Six Nations this year that they call some of the teams are calling like their starting team and their finishing team, their finishers rather than their substitutes. Where like you have players that are as good if they start or would make at uh, first 15 what they're used for the last 30, 35 minutes in a rugby game. And I wonder, like, is it is it something that'll come into Harland more and where a player is trained to only play for 20 minutes, 25 minutes, kind of. Rather than a, a seventy-minute game, like there's no there's no player being trained to only play for twenty minutes because that would have been a dream for me. You know, I'd enjoy that. <laughs> no, gouging after forty minutes or whatever. I actually think the quite quite the opposite. If like if you talk about Paul Canuck and game-based trend, the whole lot, and back to twenty eighteen, it went to extra time, and I know Cock had a couple injuries, but Limerick looks so fit, and I can guarantee it. It was game-based trend. You'd be out in the field for two hours. You were pre- preparing your body for that intensity and level and lint to play and the whole lot, but. A bit different to rugby, uh, hurling involves a lot of movement. It's very like soccer that way. And I do think that pace, and we've heard about pace and this Cork team with pace and the Limerick team are obviously not slow either. Like, go back to your own playing games or anybody listen to this. And if you're after playing 50 minutes of a club match or 60 minutes of an inter-county mm-hmm. game, the last thing you want to see is a Jack O'Connor or a Pat Ryan or some someone with unbelievable gears coming in and top you and you're after playing 60 minutes. So I think the answer to this impact subs and trying to bring people in off the bench and all that, an awful lot of it comes down to legs and and obviously freshness, whatever, but pace. And you look like, that's the one thing they talk about an awful lot in, in the, about this Cork team, about their pace. But I, I, I wouldn't be, well, I'd be hoping for Cork that they're not relying on their pace. And then they'll know well, because like if I can paint a picture of Jack O'Connor running down the sideline with a ball, if Kyle Hayes is following him, he's, he won't get away from him that far. The Limerick team can move as well. They have they have great pace in the Limerick team as well. Um, maybe they might tag one or two, slow on the turn or whatever. But in general, I wouldn't say that pace is one of Limerick's weak points. It's going I, to be honest. I think it's building up to be an exceptionally great game of hurling with movement going on everywhere. Probably the best. All Ireland final we've ever seen for pace and movement. Yeah. From the semi final in 2018, we all looked at it and everyone said, Oh, it was Limerick's bench, the strength they have in depth. Now, coming up to this one, people are nearly thinking that it's Cork who have the stronger bench. 
would James, would you be looking at thinking that the same, or would you think be just as confident with Limerick's bench? Uh, I I don't really I don't I, like I think Cork got an awful lot of bad kind of press in that about 2018 because Harnedy obviously came out kind of semi-injured out after full time coming into the first period of extra time he looked like he did dead calf or whatever and like he could have just said to him I'll run it off or it'll be fine and it was probably a lot worse than like it was probably a lot worse than the management thought and that and then they brought back on Daniel Kearney and but like Kilkenny brought back on Martin Keown the other day and they, they brought back on players uh, Cork brought back on Dara Fitzgibbon because he kind of underperformed the normal time and they thought he might have a bit of an impact but that like I to, to say Limerick's bench is weak, like I see a lot of very good players not making the panel even, and you don't know how fellas are going to train. And um, like even to talk, if Peter Casey wasn't going to start the other day, it was like who was going to start in front of him. And like the talk around town was it wasn't a shoe in that Graham McKay was going to start. It could have been like there was names between Barry Murphy was meant to be going exceptionally well at training, and he was talked about, and he barely made the panel the last day. But like. Look, to be honest, both teams have an exceptional amount of talent on them. I, I just, I think Cork have a stronger bench than maybe they had in 18, but I still think Limerick's bench is, is strong. I think a, an awful lot of the players on Limerick's bench find it hard to get game time because the team is winning so much at the moment and maybe Cork are kind of a, a common team and they've tried a lot more players and maybe that's why they look like they've maybe more players on the bench, but but look, both teams have very, very strong benches. And that look, what team gets to an All-Ireland final that doesn't have a strong bench, to be honest. So I, I wouldn't say that either team has any advantage on the bench. I think both teams have massive players to come on and make an impact off the bench in the final. Do you disagree with that, Frank, or agree? Um, I, I when you, no, you tip me off, you're going to answer that question. I just wrote down the two sets of uh, subs, right? You have two All-Stars on the Limerick bench. Like Richie English is so more likely you now. The weekend, right? Like you remember one thing, Richie McCarthy played a lot of 2018s um at Ireland final towards the end, and he played well. Like so, I find it like like Richie English, Graham Mulcahy, Pat Ryan, David Reedy, Barry Murphy, and you haven't mentioned Connor Boylan, who had a fantastic national league. To you know, I actually believe it or not, I think Limerick have the stronger bench, and that's been just honest. Now that's not been like on the other hand, then you have Dickie Dalton. He played his first game all year in the championship. Already. He got a great point from 70 yards. Mm. But would I take Dickie Dalton or Conor Boylan? I'll take Conor Boylan. Right, let's be honest with you. Alan Cadigan will feature. Um, either Owen Cadigan or Damien Callan will start ahead of for Gerald Melrick, I'd imagine. I think Owen Cadigan will start. Like Damien Callan will probably come on and he'll bring more legs to the party as well. But if you ask me honestly what I think, I think Limerick's slightly, two good benches, but Limerick's slightly a bit more experienced there coming in. So Melrick is 100% gone, is he? Um, I'm only reading because they threw him out to the media last uh, last Saturday. Like, you know, I think he was kind of more of a camouflage job. They probably knew he was. No, look, in fairness to Dickie Sol, they have a fantastic physio there. He's had two weeks. He'll, he'll get him as close as he can to be ready for some part of it. You'd have to, if he was going to play a part of it, you'd have to start him, though, wouldn't you? As opposed to bringing him on and then risk him. Yeah, he, off he, after five he, minutes. he's a really good player, lads, and he's a fantastic club runner. Like, this guy. Like he dragged Father Nielsen into me at Ireland final against around two years ago. To know, um, he's a very uncork like defender in a way. Like he'll mark you real tight. To know, he's not a loose ball player, but he's a really strong guy on the ball. He'll be a massive loss for Cork because I think they'd put him on Keen Lynch. To be honest with you, but about the the rumor of the street is that it's a very bad tear. To be honest with you, 
Our father O'Neill's then do things differently because Dickie Dalton is not a very cork like player either. Um, no, they're they they had an unbelievable um, underage success. That's uh, father O'Neill's like they won under twenty one hurling there two years ago against Middleton. Like that would be unknown. Like to you know they were junior for years and now they're up to senior A. They're a fantastic club to be honest with you. To you know and. I don't know, to answer your question, the two, those two lads are a little bit uncorked like if you want to put, but the rest, the rest of their club lads are very similar, very optic stick horrors, like, you know. I'd be a big fan of Dickie Dalton. I think he's very good, actually. He may not look as pretty on the eye as others, but effective, I think. He's a great shot uh, selection. Like, and he played a brilliant game in the National League against Limerick down in um, the Gaelic Grounds, I think, two years ago, before the COVID, James. You were probably down there the same night. I think, Cork, did Cork win that? No, Limerick won that game. Galan was up top on his own and Cadigan did a fierce battle all together. But uh, Dickie Dalton played that night. He was excellent, though, to be honest with you, wing forward. Was, is that, is, was that in the league? Is that the same match where Tim, Tim O'Mahony was sent to back? Yeah, the league down yeah. below on a Saturday night in the Gaelic grounds just before the lockdown. Yeah, like that, that day, like, that's, it's one thing, like, you could, I thought that day, you know, you could see a lot of maybe potential in the Cork team and especially Tim O'Mahony. He played centre back in a kind of a, yeah. In the pocket role, and he was just outstanding. And he's uh, his actual form kind of dipped a bit actually after that in in championship. Yeah. Rob Downey, Mark Garrod, Hagerty that night, and a good game. And like one thing that's like Cork, Cork have performed well against the Limerick team. Like as of all teams, I think that's why it gives us a small chance. Is that you know the one thing that my I don't think Tip do Limerick. I said that to the last time I was on the show, and I was proven right afterwards, right? Yeah. But I think without getting massive results, this Cork team have done reasonably well against Limerick. Like they might win one in four, but maybe Sunday's one in four, like you know. And that's why you give them a chance. They do kind of suit them, James, in ways, like you know. Ah, sure. Like in twin like let's be fair, with twenty eighteen, there were five points, was it six points up five minutes to go. Um yeah. like it was it was a game thrown away. Um in twenty nineteen to beat them in the first round of the championship. Um yeah, very, few teams, yeah. very few teams have beaten this Limerick team in four years, Kilkenny and Cork. Um like a lot of these Cork players, I would like if you if you're after beating, if you should have won, if your player there playing for Cork in the last four years and you're analysing this whole thing, we should have beaten them in 2018, we threw it away. 2019, to beat them in the first round championship. Like in the first round of the Monster Championship this year, I think both teams, I think both sets of fans even say neither team played to their full potential. Um, Limerick had a lot of players that time just struggling for a bit of farm, which was rare in the in the three years previous. Um, Limerick were like Tom Morrissey hit a couple of wides and he, he kind of Aaron Galan ended up getting dropped for the Munster final. Cork would have been like nearly with their new style of play. I know it's easy saying now that they're after winning all the matches, but Cork nearly needed to go in the back door and play all these matches to to get their, their goalie going and get their system and patterns of play and all that. I know that's easy saying now because they won them, but they needed them matches and and maybe if, if they didn't win the matches, and maybe it's a better way of saying it, they could be another year or two trying to get to an All-Ireland final, maybe. But they just needed more game time than this Limerick team. This Limerick team have the same process and style of play since 18. Cork needed it. The one thing I would say about the Cork team, and it's got nothing to do with even the Limerick team, because I think Cork are well prepared and have the confidence of playing Limerick. And actually, I think I, I just get that feeling out of a lot of them Cork players that they like playing the best because they want to be the best. They kind of have that attitude about them. But I know you, you referred to it already. The, the worrying thing you'd have about Cork is they should have had Dublin beat by 10 or 12 points. They should have had Clare out the gap. They were six points up. Um, Kilkenny got a late-minute goal. And I don't know, is there any coaching thing? I'm sure they're watching video analysis and stats and all that. But 
your ability to close out a game and I suppose you see football teams are probably more adept to it but Cork have a bit of an issue with closing out a game at the moment because both Clare, Dublin and Kilkenny you could argue the fact we could be here talking now and they should have all three games won by 10 or 12 points and you could argue that fact but it still comes down to Clare could have beat them, Kilkenny could have beat them so closing out the game is going to be a massive thing whether it's an impact bench uh bringing back a second man, I don't know, playing the ball, doing something, but they're going to have to be, a, just have a bit more experience for a young team. I don't know where they're going to find it. I don't know what you'd say as a coach, but they need something to have the ability to close out a game if they're going to, if they go, if they're going to compete for All-Ireland titles in the next couple of years. Like if you're spot on, Jay, if you look at the timelines, like the first 25, 32 minutes, Cork defensively as a full unit will be quite tight. And then it's a free for all in the second half. To know and they're not controlling the game. Whereas I think the water breaks have been of all teams have been invaluable to the Limerick team. Like uh Limerick will go through their KPIs, right? And basically say, right, puck outs, puck outs against, and let's target where do we need where are we being hurt, where are we not being hurt? And they're able to get that down from the stand to Kinner Quick, and he's able to um communicate it to players, and it's that water break is gonna be a massive challenge for Cork again. You know, again, at the weekend it was four three um, with Watford and Limerick, and then all of a sudden, it, I think there was an eight an eight point gap built up in that next next quarter. Like so, that's going to be a massive challenge. I just think Limerick have such um, trust in their management team and trust in their players that they can evolve on field quicker than Cork. Maybe a lot of Cork will be afterwards. To you know, maybe here to you know, you know, hindsight is a great thing. Um, I think Cork will come with a plan and have to stick with it, whereas Limerick can adapt their plan throughout the game. And like just to paint a picture, Frank is 100% right there. and It's very few teams I've seen been able to do it. They're, they're actually able to change up their, their style of play or game plan within the game. So if you take the All-Ireland semi-final last year, I was lucky enough to be up at it. Um, I don't know, do, do anyone realise, but Galway done something I never saw before. They left Parig Mannion free as a wing back. So yeah. they either doubled up in the man, you know, that, that he was over there. So basically, Nicky Quaid is hitting out the ball. And if he hit it out, Groot Higgity's side, you had a Galway man marking Groot Higgity, but Parag Mannion was standing there also. So they, obviously, they left Limerick with a sweeper. But uh, in the first half, it was kind of working. It was never seen before. Limerick didn't know what to do. But in the second half, it was just so clear. The the ball's trying whatever. Every time the halfback kind of win the ball, Kyle would go to one wing, um, Darren Burns would go to the other wing so they set him the sidelines and they'd just spray the ball to the sidelines Darren Burns obviously take a couple of long range shots they started shooting from range but it was their ability to stop hitting the ball into the full forward line they were clearly told or whatever at halftime stop hitting the ball into the full forward line they have a sweeper and it's not working we're not as you say KPIs are not winning the ball in there they played it to the wings and started shooting from range and it just it's, it, it changed Galway so the point I'm trying to make is I was often involved in inter-county teams and you go out with a plan and a system but a bit like the whole plan B, the GA, how many teams can have a second game plan or third or change up their style of play to adapt to what's coming at them and, and, and things like that. And, and Limerick are very, very good at, I, I don't know, maybe Dublin footballers and other teams have done in the past, but I do know that Limerick are very adaptable that way. And that's why that they're so hard to beat because they can change up their, their style of play. Yeah, you're spot on. I looked at, I'm going to make a fair bold statement. Oh, Limerick are the best coach team I've ever seen because they can... They're just totally proactive. Like they can change. They're not reactive. Like they're reactive to a point, but they're proactive. Like they can play you. Uh, if you leave space, they go along. If you if you don't follow the run attack, you tread tread the passes by you. 
they can just adapt so easily and they still keep their defensive formation so well. They'll always play with five backs inside their 65. Like, you know, they're so, they trust each other so well. And that half forward line is the catalyst for all that. Like Morrissey, Hagerty, and the evolution of Lynch to the half forward line and, and Kyle Hayes revolving back to seven has actually improved the team considerably on 18 um, going forward. Like, to you know, just they're so good. I suppose you're spot on about the Parry Manion thing. I suppose a big thing, they're out the ball. If in doubt, hit the left corner. And I'd say, I think, you know, would I be right in saying that, James? That was their kind of Limerick's outlet ball. If if you're, you went man-to-man in them, they'd just spray it into that corner. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I did, they've, they've changed it up a lot. Like in 2018, Nicky used to go nearly all to the half-forward line, but then every team in 19 was trying to stop Gerard Higgity and Tom Morrissey winning balls, and they were leaving the a lot of Limerick backs free. And, to be honest, in doing that now, Nicky can go long or short. And uh, yeah, he's usually the outlet is, is the left corner, corner back and they walk it out. But they, as, as, as I said already, they can just play all different ways. But but from a Cork point of view, attacking this Limerick team and the whole line, it's gone very like football. If Cork do go man and man and all around the field and if they you know press high in the, the puck outs or if they defend, whatever they do, there's some very interesting matchups all over the field, like uh, Harnady on Derek Burns, Robbie Flynn on Kyle Hayes, and um, Mark Coleman. Would he push up on uh, Keane Lynch or do they play the sweeper? Like I, I think Mark Coleman's definitely going to play the sweeper role. He's going to control things at the back. They're going to use their goalie an awful lot. Will Limerick try and press up in the goalie? It's going to be very interesting, and will it leave gaps in the back line? That's why um, this Cork team, in comparison, I think. If Limerick are playing Waterford or Kilkenny or Chip in the final on Sunday, they know it's coming at them. But Cork have changed up their style a bit. As I said, evolutionised Limerick game a bit. They're going to play the goalie. And they just, they play, they're the only team that played more similar to Limerick as well. And that's why Limerick find it so hard to beat them. And an awful lot of the game is going to be in the middle third, as we know. Um, it's going to be that middle third. I think Tipperary in the Munster final in the first half. How did they get so on top of Limerick? They won that middle third. And... It was the first time I actually saw Tipperary because uh, Tipperary would be very kind of traditional, get like lovely hurley passer. They were the, for, the first time I've seen him probably play a, a ball back into the side and use their half back line that bit more and a true Limerick a bit. So, look, a Limerick, Cork know what Limerick are going to come with. Um, I think Limerick are a little bit worried about Cork because they, they've, they've got a lot of games in them and they've changed their style a little from, from even the first round of the championship. I think the goalkeeping issue, James, is a big thing. I think um, I said it the last time I was on the show, which lads, Nicky Quaid for me is the best goalie in the country. Like, you know, I know when Murphy gets a lot of plaudits for, you know, his goalkeeping, stopping and all that. But like the last day, I thought it was quite evident Owen Murphy was nearly trying to coach the Kilkenny half back line where to play against Cork's movement, right? Nicky Quaid, like he played centre back for his club, James. Right, so centre back or centre forward for Effin. But like his game management is absolutely off the radar. Like, you know what I mean? And like he can still make the big saves as well, but it's a real quiet guy. But his his ability to know where to poke the ball is you can coach that. To know, yeah. Well, even when we talk about twenty eighteen, and one of the most iconic moments from that semi final was the save that he made from from Harnady. But um, there's been a lot of plaudits for for Patrick Collins as well. Are like are these two goalkeepers playing? Kind of some of the most important roles that goalkeepers have played in all Ireland finals this weekend. Well, Patrick, let's just give an idea. Patrick Collins played four year Cork minor lads. He played five year Cork under twenty one. You know, he's been, he was always a standout goalie. But I say restarts is the one thing he's had to improve on, and his decision making that way. 
Um, like he had a, a great master ahead of him. Like Anthony Nash was a very good man to like a one step puck out, bang, hit pace, uh, hit space and pace. Like, but I suppose Patrick has really evolved that the last three or four months, and that's been a big plus for Cork. And you don't see Frank uh, Cork treble coming over the next few days now. Mine, I, I, I hope so. <laughs> um, I don't, if you're being very honest. Um, I, I, I think we're, I think there's massive work being done in the county, right? You have to put in context that's Cork had 259 clubs, Limerick have 101. Is that, I think James, I'm right in saying that. Is it my less? Is it less? 101? No, a lot less. A lot less. A lot less. Uh, 67. 67, right? 259. Look, we have the population in Cork, but we're just doing things wrong. But we are going the right direction massively. And we have a fierce conveyor belt coming. Like we do, we, we don't know. I think we have a minor team that will win the Ireland and win, win the Ireland well. That's very bold out of me now to say that, right? If they turn up, they're a serious minor team. The 20s, without Connolly and Barrett, I think might come up short against Galway tomorrow night. They're a massive loss. Um, whether they pull the stroke with the COVID, I don't know. To try and have them, I don't know, but they don't They don't have them. Um, I think we'll win the minor. I think we'll struggle at under 20. And I'm hopeful in the senior, but I think Limerick will win the senior as well. This could be now. I know every team that wins under twenty and wins a couple of All Irelands, people get worried. Like, just there's going to be a period of dominance here. But you would have to think that Limerick and Cork are probably going to dominate for a few years between the two of you. Would you disagree? Um, I think that's a fairly true statement. I think Tipper gone back in the pack a small bit. Um, Limerick, or sorry, Watford, or to know Watford, to know they can come overnight now, right? Clare have dipped a small bit, but I imagine they'll get their their shopping order as well going forward. They were very poor under twenty and minor this year. Um, Limerick have won the last two Munster minor championships, ads, right? Played a rip roar of a game against Cork last year in the Munster championship. Um, very unlucky not to win it this year. I thought. Cork actually won that game in the line. I thought Limerick was a bit unorthodox in a way that they didn't manage the game as well as the seniors would manage it. Now, I don't know who's involved and I don't want to, I don't know, James can fill me in on that, but I think like the under-20s was a bit naive for Limerick and Limerick should have won that Munster final against Cork this year. Um, this year's team is not as good as last year's team in my view, but we have a savage conveyor belt coming once we keep them honest and go in the right direction, like, to know. Galway have, Galway have probably... They, they've, I think they won the last four minors in a row. They've won for five in a row on Saturday. Five in a row. Now, you still wouldn't think they're going to be a period of dominance because they always have that underage success. And for some reason, don't don't win senior All-Irelands. If we got one minor winning team in Wexford, we'd be thinking, just there's our team for the next 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the one that kind of baffles me is uh, like Tipperary. Uh, Tipperary won effectively four generations of like they won 221s all irelands in a row obviously beating cork and then they won the following all ireland under 20 so the under 21 wasn't there so you could nearly say four generations of players all they nearly done a three in a row but it was another team but very few of them players ended up coming on to it and like underage success does not affect the senior team because um like if you take if you take it now, under 21 used to be the place where you saw future inter-county players coming. I think under 20 is a very hard team to gauge your, your next senior players. Um, as in, I, I have a kind of a, a bit of a, I won't say an issue, but I can understand why counties aren't looking at 
players coming off under 20s now that would be under 21s bringing them onto a panel instead of so the point I'm trying to make is before under 21 players used to be on inter-county teams now the grade went back to under 20s so now it's under 20 players are on inter-county teams um, I would just like to see for, for, from a player's development point of view all over the country why if you're an under 20 inter-county player and you're not going to have much of a say in the, the senior setup, stay with your under 20s for the year bring on your under 21 players that played previous or under 20 one players that are gone a year or two and develop them and let your under 20 stay with them just from a, a development point of view that's just my view on it but to answer your question it's hard to see Cork and I think Cork and Limerick will be playing in Munster finals and maybe all our, it's hard to make an all-around final every year but they will have a great rivalry in the next couple of years because Cork have just wiped the floor with everything in schools in Munster frankly agree with that they, like um, Harty Cups Dean Ryans all this kind of stuff and not only have they been winning stuff they have so many teams playing at a high level um, that was the one thing in Limerick, like we'd be working off a way smaller base, but Joaquin Lynch's, Kyle Hayes, all them, obviously they, a lot of them went to Art School Reach, but at that time you had Dune, uh, Dune CBS, you had Castle Try, and you had uh, Art School Reach, and you actually had a hospital, John the Baptist, for a little bit playing Harty Cup. with four schools playing Harty Cup, which would be, like usually we only had one, it was Art School Reach, which would be half clear as well, so... I think Limerick with the academies and the whole lot, they saw that if you're playing a high schools level, hurling and get a lot more of your schools within. It's not all about winning, it's about getting them playing at that level. And um, again, look, with underage hurling, it can be very false because like you see, uh, like there's a stat out there, I don't know how right or wrong I am with this, Frank, you might be remember it better, but Tipperary beat that Cork team in that under 21 final. And I think there's five or six or even seven of that Cork team that lost an under-21 final to Tipperary playing not on a final. And I don't know how many of that tip panel were, were even on the tip panel or on the tip team this year or panel. I'd say only one or two. So it's very, very funny. Eddie the way Cattell it and um, what's his name? Jake Morris. Jake Morris, you know, he took a recap. Cork actually, that year when they won the Munster Championship, five of that team played the Iron Final in the Gaelic Browns afterwards. like And three subs, they eight in total, right? When you go back to Keen Inches here, I remember going to see an Aragon final above in uh, Nina. Um, Joe Quaid was over that Limerick under-16 team and they won a ferocious Ireland and they were odds-on to win a minor two years later and Kilkenny turned, turned them over. And it was very, like, Kilkenny team came out afterwards. So, you know, I think that was a, a big development on that Limerick squad that, yeah, they won under-16, they lost minor, but it just, I think John Kiley got them at under-21 then with uh, Jimmy Quilty. And they won a ferocious Ireland, but I think it was a good education and a good grounding from James. Would that, would that be a fair statement for the majority of those lads? Uh, yeah, and like even, I think the one thing about like building an academy and all this, and um, I, like I just see Hurland in general, it's become very middle-class fellas go to college and they're well-educated and the academy and you're, you're well-trained in how to, like how to approach people and how to present yourself. And like a lot of these Limerick people, like after like, as I say, in a county like Limerick that only had seven All-Irelands won the last time being 1973 and the whole lot, you, like a lot of this success could have totally went to their heads and have egos and the whole lot. And to be fair to them, down to earth, you don't hear anything from them. They get on about their business. And I just think that's the, the modern player all over the country at inter-county that a lot of them are, like Dan Marcy there is going for a big account and Nicky Gray's a teacher. A lot of them, it's their lifestyle and, the, and their approach to life. And they, they bring that on to their their success in sport and it's just great seeing that's not just in Limerick I'm not trying to that, that's going on in every county and it's just good to see that clubs and, and counties are able to produce like good people it's a bit like all blacks like good people make good players and things like that and it's great to see
I think what has been a big help to both Cork and Limerick as is university based. Like Limerick have UL and LIT who are ferocious at college level. Like fresher now, a fresher match between LIT and UL is off the charts. Do you know what I mean? And the other hand, in UCC and CIT, CIT with my own college have gone back a little bit, but UCC are the benchmark with UL to know. Like if you go to Fitzgibbon Cup weekend, it could be two Cork teams and two Limerick teams, two Limerick colleges. I know now they're front loaded with Clare lads and Tip lads and Galway and all that, but the mainstay will be five or six Limerick lads in Limerick. It'll be five or six Cork lads in Cork, which has been a massive help for, for the development. And he's spot on about the Harty Cup. Two years ago, there was seven Cork teams in the Harty Cup. Um, three of them got to semi-final, right? Coleman's, uh, Christian's and Milton CBS three years ago. And four Cork teams were in the were in the the B the B monster, to you know. So that just gives you an idea, like to you know, you're spot the schools, colleges. It has everything has an effect on it, really, James. It's going forward, like you know. And like, just to give like people an example, like West Limerick would be kind of predominantly football area. You now there's a lot of hurling clubs there and whatever, but the standard of playing at a dare would be the only uh, senior team at the moment. But so when I was working with my job, uh, three West. A secondary schools joined to play in the Hearty Cup now they've done away with it since because they just didn't agree with it or whatever but Seamus Flanagan would have been playing in that so he got uh, three years definitely two years playing Hearty Cup at a high level and if he wasn't doing that he'd have been playing I'd say C or D Hurling and it was just a massive addition to his development as a player and it would have been seen as a, a weaker um, area like there'd be very few players from West Limerick back that West playing with Limerick over the years. Tom Condon would have been there as well. They'd have very few, and it's just great. You can see that if they get, I suppose, introduced into high standard hurling, what what they can become afterwards, and it definitely helped him in his progression of being an inter-county player. Just a, a simple thing, schools hurling, and actually, like the, the one thing I would say from a club point of view is I don't know how familiar you are with the Celtic Challenge, but that Celtic Challenge has brought on so many club players, and even. The under-20 team that played Cork the other day, I think there was four in played Celtic Challenge at under-17, and now they made the county under-20 team. Like So that Celtic Challenge from a national point of view was a massive success to, to players that we could have lost to the game at 17, and it gave them an extra bit of a lift, and, and they went on to where it was inter-county and still are, you know? Yeah. We're the same in Cork, James, as the identification was a massive problem. Like, I was involved with development squads in 11, 13, that way, right? And if you you go to, you look at the Premier One teams first of all, you'd go to Black Rocks and you could have four from that on it. But we'd miss the guy down maybe in Castle Magna or the guy in Drum Tariff because his address was wrong. You know he might have been playing, but with the region there's, there's, there's four regions in Cork now. So you're you're instead of having 30 players, you've evolved that to nearly the bones of 180 players. So identification is a big thing and. Like a guy from Nakaderi, as you said, has not been missed nowhere. He might have been missed years ago, like to know, or in our case, the smaller clubs in Cork, it doesn't matter where you're from, you're brought into kind of a Rebel Oak Academy and you're not missed and you're enhanced. And even the weekend now, the minor match, there's three guys from junior clubs playing on the team that would have been untold of in Cork maybe 10 years ago, to know. Now, lads, before we go, two, two very important questions, one, one each. I'll ask you first, Frank. I want your your prediction for the next Wexford manager. Who do you think we should go for? <laughs> prediction. Um, for you, Frank. <laughs> thanks, James. <laughs> um, I don't know, lads. I, I genuinely don't know. I think I think I think it's just more than the manager. It's what he brings with him. 
like um, in, in, in John Kiley's situation, he's the front man, but like the pack room team he brought between Joe O'Connor and Mikey Kiley and Caroline Cord and Paul Kinnerick and Anthony Cunningham and the whole patch, package has to be right. And I think it's not just one individual. Um, I'm hearing Derek McGrath's name mentioned and Willie Matter's name mentioned and Eddie Brennan, they're the three. I, I don't know. I genuinely, I'm going to dodge the question. I don't know. <laughs> okay, fine then. <laughs> <laughs> now, James, we're uh, looking for something nice here now. Um, who is the toughest Wexford player you've played against? Your toughest, toughest opponent player. from Wexford. Toughest Wexford player? Um, it's, a, it's a tough question because, you know, you've been meeting so many players. Um, to me, it was probably Dermot O'Keefe because it was just, he, his work rate and he's, always, he's buzzing around the place and he always had, you always had to keep an eye on him. Um, and I, I think he showed that over the last couple of years that um, he, he could be wing back, he could be wing forward, he's getting a tackling, he's going up the field. And I suppose my game was stopping and then getting in a tackle and all that. He was just hard to, to get near when he was in the ball. He was always electric around the place. But if I, if I can answer the other question because about the managers, I just like, it's something that... I would see that Limerick and, and Wexford would have an, a very similar path in success and things like that. And I don't know about size count with her, but like you see Cork and you see Tipperary and you see Kilkenny and it's something I like about it. Obviously, maybe we don't have the people at the time or I don't know, but they always have homegrown managers or somebody within the county. And like, I just like to see... Wexford with a Wexford manager. I think it's great at the moment that Limerick have a Limerick manager leading them the way. And look, I no, no problem with managers from other places coming. And as Frank said, I'm all about bringing in like your trainers from different counties. And all that. I just like it. I just, I don't know, is it a pride of place? I think that's a GA thing, whatever. I just like to see a Limerick man over a Limerick team because I just think it means that bit more to them. Do you know, and like if you'd ask me, like one of my favourite managers ever was John Allen. I just as they say in Love Island, I just had a great connection with him. Like, I don't know, he just kind of understood me. I had great time for him and the whole lot. And I'm not saying anything about outside managers. I just love to see a man from a homegrown manager with a homegrown team. So I don't know, is there anyone in-house? Do you know of anyone that's on the, the cards in Wexford going well in club or, I don't know, another person from 96 team, whatever. I don't know. But to me, I like to see a Wexford man over the Wexford team if at all possible and and I think with David Fitz being an outside manager for so long maybe it's time to because we had Donald Donald O'Grady and then we had John Allen obviously and with Justin McCarthy with John Weed, we, we went out to Cork or different counties so long it was great to get back to having a, a Limerick person just it's the same as club teams a lot of club teams go out but it's nice to have a club man over a club team too Thanks very much lads for, for joining us Thanks a million lads it's nice to be asked uh, much appreciated no, oh, thanks, oh. thanks a million, Ned. That was great. Damien Fitzhenry is the best at what he did. Whoever played it, unquestionably like the best there ever was. My God, like, it was just so good. So good. A magician. The youngest in the 15, uh, nine brothers and five sisters. They just stuck you in the goal then. Yeah, well, uh, a so-called goal, uh, two tar barrels. 
Damien Fitzhenry was the best goalkeeper I ever played, but you know I'd say, say that. Damien Fitzhenry is the best goalkeeper I've ever seen. So I'd probably, like, I'd probably say Damien. Have you been talking to Shane Tompkins, Gary? I haven't, no, Ben. And apparently he's desperately trying to get in contact with Michal Martin because apparently there's something really important he wants to talk to him about. So he said he, could, he couldn't come on this week with us. It's been a while now since, since he's been on. Uh, is this something to do with the presentation he was getting ready last week? I think so, yeah. Apparently, anyway, it's really important. So hopefully, hopefully he gets in contact and it all works out. Yeah, hopefully. And Mial, if you're if you're listening, maybe just reach out to Shane there. He's he does seem eager to to get in touch. He is. We'll be back soon with another podcast. Thanks everyone for listening, and thanks to our sponsor, the Enniscorty Credit Union. Take care.